0: everybody, welcome to Too Busy to Flush. I'm JR.
1: And I'm Molly.
0: And if this is your first time visiting us or listening to us, here's what you can expect. We sit down. We are a husband and wife. Yeah, I'm going to get there.
1: Oh. Okay. This part's JR's. I'll keep my mouth shut.
0: <laughs> you can expect a lot of this. Um, we are a husband and a wife. We sit down and have conversations about... All sorts of things, um, not related to anything. All of our conversations are generally unplanned and unrehearsed, and for the most part, untalked about, so they're typically pretty fresh conversations between the two of us. We have four kids, ages 11 through three, and two of them are gone this week, which is kind of nifty, um, but I do kind of miss them. There's that. And um, that's all I got for that intro. Uh This week is a little bit different because last week, if you caught episode 79, we assigned homework to listen to a health podcast that Molly wanted to discuss this week. So there have been some discussions around this that aren't totally... uh, refreshed or uh, uh, rehearsed, rehearsed, but um, for the most part, everything that we're probably going to talk about, we've not shared with each other. We did, if you guys are, um, during the week, so for those of you new listeners out there as well, during the week when we're not recording, we have a Telegram group. And there's typically a lot of conversations that go on in the Telegram group. So that is where Molly kind of assigned some homework to our Telegram people. And we got a lot of good feedback. We thought about trying to do a, a video Uh, live stream of our recording, which would still be really, really fun to do. Um, But we're in Montana and our primary audience, or at least the most interactive audience base we have is on the East Coast. And that presents a few time uh, challenges for us in that regard. So anyway, um, I feel like I'm in dire need of a nap. About a half an hour ago, I just went
1: I had some coffee about half an hour ago.
0: I'm probably i drinking some tea right now, but I probably should have had some coffee. Um, Been working on the van quite heavily. My goal is to have it done by the end of the month. I don't think I'm going to make it, but I think, you guys, I'm actually going to get really, really close to hitting that goal. Um, I'm kind of excited. And what else do we have going on? The kids are in Wyoming, the girls, visiting your great-grandmother who turned...
1: On Thursday, she will be 98.
0: 98. Molly has a 98-year-old grandmother.
1: I will have on Thursday. And she still lives in the house my dad grew up in, in Laramie, Wyoming. She now has 24-hour in-home care. It's not skilled nursing care. It's just somebody there to help her go to the bathroom, because she's had a couple falls back when she lived by herself two years ago. In case she falls over. Yeah, two years ago, she was still driving And stuff, and now she has. I don't. I don't know if she just has declined this with the in-home care, but she has figured out. I don't know if it's Safeway or Walmart, but she she does food delivery. She last time my parents were there this summer, my mom said that she had my grandma had figured out how to get the grocery store to deliver her food, her groceries, on an app, and she still sends birthday cards to all of her grandchildren and great grandchildren. And I mean, she's I asked when were the girls called to say goodnight last night? And we said they said they got to see Gigi, which is short for great grandma. They'd gotten to see her. And Elise goes, she's really small, (laughs) (laughs) which, yes, when you're that old, you you sort of just shrink away. Um, But you know what? I mean, 98 is incredible. Her mom, I remember meeting my great-grandmother, my great-grandmother, whose name was Helen Margaret Elizabeth Ogle. She was from England. And she, um, I remember meeting her, and she lived to 93, I think. And we went out and visited, this is where your and my family history overlap. We went out and visited her in Sacramento, California. Uh, close to where your mother grew up and I remember being under lemon trees and playing with giant bubbles in my dad's aunt's backyard in Sacramento and she in you know for us Montana kids it's super warm there and she's sitting on a recliner in the backyard wrapped in blankets and I have this very memory of great grandma Ogle sitting in blankets in a California summer under lemon trees. But my grandmother has surpassed her mother by several years now, which is incredible.
0: Do you think you're gonna live as long as your mother? Your grandmother?
1: I I no. I mean honestly, no. Statistically speaking, I consider myself a hundred percent an average person, and the average person doesn't get to be that old.
0: I read so this is off on a tangent. But I think earlier this year, was it last year, I read some random study that I came across that was arguing that prolific, unchecked sexual activity decreases lifespan. And that made me start thinking. And so then I was like, well, that's interesting. So then I wonder, I wanted to kind of do my own little research was, and find out all the super old was, people what their sexual habits were when they were younger. It, I'm thinking do with correlation
1: like, does not equal causation.
0: No, but I mean, it ha- could it have something to do with you know sexually transmitted diseases or something? I was gonna I say, know.
1: I feel like somebody who is when you say cancer, unchecked sex. I think somebody who is not living a life of that's characterized Biblical, by a lot moral of standards. <laughs> well, I mean, a lot of healthy right. healthy habits and self control, and so. Uh, like I said, I feel like correlation does not equal causation. There, like
0: I'm probably not going to ask your grandmother what her sex life was like when she was younger, though. Okay,
1: but I will say this: Do you know? I'm sure you know this because I say this out loud at least once a month. Do you know within Western countries what category of women self reports as the most sexually satisfied? Married. Um. Okay. By by category, I guess I meant white. On the on the political spectrum, <laughs> on the political spectrum,
0: Republicans, w-
1: women who categorize themselves as on the far right.
0: Oh, far right, cons- so the extreme women.
1: Well, it, I would consider myself far right, as in I'm not really a moderate. I'm I have really strong opinions about things that tend to characterize the Republican. Well, I wouldn't say the Republican Party. I would say a traditional conservative platform and in both economics as well as a lot of moral things like sexual standards and abortion and things like that and i don't know i don't know if a libertarian policy tends to be more far right or all you, you know libertarians out or... there
0: how's your sex life <laughs>
1: yeah. no but but i mean it just yeah, i think what i'm the point i'm trying to make and even for our kids that I'm, you know, hopefully when they're at an appropriate age to impart this to them is you want to have a good sex life? Get married. First of all, married people are having a lot more sex than most single people. Like the myth of the Tinder hookup person, the the myth of the Tinder (laughs) hookup person, it's actually, Tinder hookups are actually terrible, especially for men's self-esteem because women all go for the top 2% of the men on these on these platforms and all the other men end up feeling terrible about themselves. You put yourself out there, your personality is not on display on your on your, you know, match.com or your Tinder or whatever other app the kids are using mm-hmm. these days profile. And we all know that women are not as visual as men and women tend to be tend to judge a man more by his character than by the initial you know, the initial first look.
0: That's also how men can get away with ridiculous haircuts like mohawks or mullets.
1: Yes. Yes, there is a man in our church with a mullet right now. With yeah, a, very, we've, we've with a frequently, very attractive wife.
0: And he goes, he's always like, he always hashtags his things as disappointed wife. <laughs> he talks about his mullet. <laughs> he likes to wear pitbull sunglasses. He's also far right... Maybe there's a correlation there to be bad haircuts and style. And
1: um, no, politics. because because attraction and anyway, all that to say, get married, be in a stable relationship. Guys don't have to put themselves out there and get rejected on one night stands. You, I wouldn't say you have a sure bet, but it's more of a sure bet than fishing around at a bar. Guys and women, women need to, uh, need to be intimate with somebody who with whom they are safe and with whom they are uh who knows them and is emotionally connected to them women who do one night who do hookups one night stands orgasm less than 30 percent of the time this is totally not where we were going today with this.
0: No, you guys, and that's all we're gonna say today. I, Molly's message rings true, and we're gonna leave it. At <laughs> we're, <that>. just gonna, <laughs> we're just
1: gonna call it. Actually, you know what? I I will segue into our discussion of Perfect. the homework podcast with this.
0: Sex and food. Is there anything better in the world? Jesus. Oh.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no. Here's here's where those oh, come word. together, though. When we live according to our design, to how we are made, we we do better. When you use the implement, the tractor, or the food processor, or whatever... The computer, according to the manufacturer's design, Mm -hmm. you don't void the warranty and it works best. You do the appropriate maintenance and it's gonna last longer. The same thing goes for the human body use it according to its design and it will serve you well. And that goes for your mental well being, it goes for your relationships, it goes for your physical well being. And as as dear Uncle Vernon, who sent us a very lovely note with handwritten thoughts just this last week, and explained his understanding of the connection between mind, body, soul, spirit, and I, which I super appreciate, Uncle Vern, you taking the time to interact with us. And don't want to get in the weeds on details of that because that's not what I came prepared to discuss. But but all of that is so much more connected than we give it credit for. That you take care of your body and your mind will be happier. Eat good food and your mind will be happier. Eat good food in fellowship with good people and you're going to be even happier. And... That's because we were designed to enjoy. You know, the, I just read in Proverbs today in my Bible reading. Enjoy the wife of your youth, and don't don't spill your fountains' waters in the streets. <laughs> <laughs> that's to, that's the advice to the guy. Go home to your wife and spill your fountains' waters. <laughs>
0: Sp- fountains' waters, it's so gross. I can't. That wasn't that exactly, word picture. Just like that
1: wasn't exactly the phrasing, but that's what waters. stuck in my mind.
0: But you know, it's like a I, but it's like all a of this churchy is, pickup line. Hey, babe, want to go home and spill some? Oh, waters? I
1: saw this. I saw this meme the other day where the guy was sending Song of Solomon quotes to his girlfriend, but she oh. didn't. She didn't have the context. for Fun it. Fun
0: story. When I was at Word of Life Bible Institute, I started anonymously receiving in my school post office box quotes from the Song of Solomon. That's weird. Oh, I was totally getting stalked. It was super creepy. I turned mm-hmm. them all in. It was...
1: That is it was creepy. Messy.
0: Yeah. It's weird because, you know, normally if somebody... I don't know why stalkers do it anonymously. Like, are they getting a high off of it? Or is it like they're fulfilling a fantasy but afraid to fulfill a fantasy? Like, they don't want to come clean? They don't really want a relationship because they're not telling you who you are.
1: Yeah, it's a fear and control and sort of thing.
0: Oh, man. Those Christian girls are messed up. Up
1: As though the Christian guys aren't. Be careful. (laughs) As though the Christian guys aren't.
0: So here's the summary of uh, last week's homework podcast. When you're hungry, eat chocolate.
1: (laughs) Uh, A little bit. Yeah. Okay. So the summary was this interview by a guy with a guy. And I'm looking at the the transcript from that podcast. If you're a read it sort of person and not a listen to an hour plus podcast. Uh, is a 37-page transcript. His name is Mark Schatzker, and he wrote a book called The Dorito Effect, and then he wrote a book that just came out recently called The End of Craving, which I purchased on Audible, and I've listened to about three chapters of, and it's it's every bit as fascinating as I expected it to be based on the podcast interview. He fleshes out a lot more of the um, the same points that he makes in the podcast, but... Okay, how do I how do I try to summarize it without... Uh, well, why don't you, JR, you start off by telling me what, besides eat more chocolate, which he's been telling me all week, you guys.
0: <laughs> why I actually you- bought Titus. So Titus and I went to... Um, T- I told Titus that I would spend the afternoon with him when the girls had a bunch of girlfriends over. And he asked to fulfill his... Uh, birthday tradition of going to Barnes & Noble to buy a book. Um, and we didn't do that on his birthday, apparently. So we went to Barnes & Noble and bought a book. And while I was there, I bought a Godiva dark chocolate bar under the plan that any time I had a craving, I was going to take off a piece and savor it on my tongue and see what happens. It's still sitting in my truck, fully wrapped. I never actually got around to it.
1: Hmm. So- Does it
0: satisfy cravings for beer? I don't know. Man, I love beer. I don't know. Um, no, I had some other... So somebody else brought... Uh, somebody... I don't... Hang on. Um, somebody, so the,
1: the, the thing about the craving thing, this was actually one of the punchlines at the end of the podcast, but mm-hmm. but Schatzker went to a gal in Germany who studies obesity and people who just can't stop eating things. Mm-hmm. And she gave... I think we said this at the tail end of last time's podcast. She gave him the Shatsker, like two potato chips. And she said, you can nibble at them, but you can't just stick them in your mouth and eat them. And he was overcome with desire. All he could think about, all he wanted, was to eat more potato chips as he's nibbling little bites of them. And he says, he says, I don't even really like potato chips. I could tell you about great steaks I've had. I've never, I couldn't tell you about a great bag of chips I've ever had. I mean, I'll eat them if they're in front of me, but it's not something I even seek out. But all I wanted in this, in the scientist's lab was more potato chips. And then she gave him a piece of dark chocolate and she said, let it melt on your tongue. Sit and think about the sensation. Think about the flavor. And he said it was so deeply satisfying to him. By the time he finished it, he didn't even want more. He just had enjoyed that so much he was totally satiated with this little piece of dark chocolate, and she said he said that this researcher trains people who don't seem to have self control to to do that to savor something very rich like a piece of dark chocolate, and that helps curb their cravings. This
0: is actually a good a good segue into kind of where my brain was going with all of this. So obviously, they're talking about all of this from a secular worldview, a very humanist worldview. Um, and there's no, there's no integrate. You don't think about the integration between um, your spirituality, your, you know, your Christianity, uh, you know, your biblical, what the Bible says. And it kind of goes back to your comment, Molly. Like, live how you were designed. Eat the good things, savor the good things, the healthy things, and that'll help cure you of other things. So, you know, when I talk to, you know, even in my own life, there's certain you know, and this, the sinful desires that I have, you know, occasionally I'm like, boy, it'd be fun to just, just, you know, just live in sin and not constantly having to restrain myself. Like, Mm. you know, Paul talks about, right. And, but then it's like, well, the problem is my desire. I'm not craving what's best. And so I'm asking God to change my heart and say, help me crave, help me see, the way you've set up the world and you good as good help me you know change my desires for that thing and mm-hmm. not the other thing and that's where i think you know it's as a uh holistic being um when we when we we have a physical and a mental change when we meditate on scripture and pursue those disciplines i mean we don't do them to earn god's favor but there is a lot of Wisdom in mm-hmm. studying and doing those things. So I was kind of moving more along the, my brain was like more along the lines of of thinking about how to engage in all this stuff with, you know, with that Christian worldview. And I don't think he's off base at all. He's just, just totally missing a whole nother layer,
1: yeah, oh, I totally agree. I so Laura, Anna, and Matthew, all on our telegram oh. channel, engaged with the self-control aspect and totally felt like he was missing. The fact that this is something that God—self-control is something that God calls us to, and it's the fruit of the Spirit, and it's something yeah. that we practice. And also, we—you—like you alluded to, the replacement principle. You can't just stop doing the bad. They say this even in disciplining kids. Don't say, stop picking on your sister, stop doing that, stop doing this. You always have to offer a little kid a Good alternate behavioral alternative to choose because they their brains can't. They there's nature abhors a vacuum. You say stop doing that, and they have nothing to fill that gap with, and so they slide back into the stop doing it. Mm -hmm. And you know Jesus says if you if you cast a demon out. It goes and roams the earth and comes back and finds the home swept clean and brings seven of its brothers and comes and the the person who, from whom the demon was cast out is in a worse condition than before. And I think that that's true for anything behaviorally, that we have to focus our hearts on the good in order to have the self-control to avoid the bad but even that um, I've been listening to somebody recently that has made me wonder how much joy in tangible created things he has in his life because there's a lot of don't do this because it's not good for you don't do this oh and Jesus loves you that fixes the don't do this. And I, I keep thinking about Paul in Romans, and he talks about how he, he loved the law as a Pharisee. He loved the law, and he felt so satisfied. But obviously, that's not a good love of the law. Mm-hmm. That's a legalistic love of the law. But then you look in, in Psalm 119, and he loves the law and it's a healthy love of the law that we all need to aspire to because he loves how the law reflects the goodness of the one who created the law and the orderly world that the law helps us to live within and same philippians 4 whatever is pure whatever is lovely whatever is admirable Whatever you know, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. Don't just think about the things that are excellent or praiseworthy. Think about the God who gave you the excellent and praiseworthy things. Uh, and I think that that the self control piece, that that the dark chocolate piece, gives us this little taste of. Get it? Taste of uh, is is this idea that Psalm 34 says taste and see that the Lord is good. And what's so tremendous to me about what's communicated in that piece of this podcast is, is you can literally taste and see, taste the goodness of God because of the good things that God gives to you. And I think what a lot of the rest of that podcast and even more what I've gotten so far in the book is if you try to substitute things that imitate the goodness of the good creation. So here's an example that's not in the podcast specifically, but, uh, well, this, also, this actually comes from The Supper of the Lamb, which... JR noticed me underlining furiously. And I didn't think I could underline more in this book than I underlined the first couple of times I read it. <laughs> but here I am underlining like crazy as I'm reading it through the lens of this podcast because again, I think I've mentioned this before, this book was published in 1950-67. I thought it was in the 50s. 67. And he's just railing against this... Modern... Ascetic understanding of food. That food is just nutrition. We just need food to survive. And you can get slick new inventions of food... Replacing butter with margarine. And he's railing against that. And then... And then when it comes down to it... At least the health world that I follow says, avoid seed oils like canola oil and vegetable oil, which is what margarine comes from. Avoid those because those are actually one of the primary causes of inflammation in your body, which produces a lot of autoimmune diseases, heart disease, things like that. So that's I mean, that's kind of the boogeyman in the health world right now is seed oils. And, and yet here he is. He has no idea about the health value, but he's like, why would you not just do butter? It's so stinking good. <laughs> it's his point about it. But um, Kim mentioned when she listened to the podcast right away or even maybe just the clip of it that I posted a couple weeks ago that she said to her, this podcast felt like live not by lies for the body and in so many ways i feel like like that really touches on something because if you again you know, if you didn't listen to it i think it's towards the beginning of no it wasn't towards the beginning of the podcast it's the it's the excerpt that he that i shared on our instagram where he's talking about what created metabolic what creates one of the things that create metabolic dysfunction in people which is The experiment where people were given glasses of water and they were. I have my phone on silence. Why did it just ding? And they're given glasses of water that had a colorless, flavorless sweetener in it. And then they were. Or form of sugar that was colorless and flavorless. Somehow she added sugar caloric content without. People being able to taste it. And then she sweetened it without changing the caloric content in stages. And basically, she expected the body to ramp up and burn an appropriate amount of energy based on how much, how many calories, how many sugar calories they were consuming. But what happened is the only time the body ramped up and burned the appropriate number of calories was when the sweetness matched the amount of calories that were were actually going into your body. And so he says, essentially, there's this tremendously powerful thing that we underestimate the power of in terms of our sense of smell and our sense of taste. And our body actually gauges how many calories it's going to consume based on the smell and the taste of whatever we're about to consume. And so when we do things like diet soda and other artificial sweeteners or just messing otherwise with the calorie content of something that our body... And he says, evolutionarily, and I'm like, you just... You think that we could just stumble into this? Like, the incredible design of our bodies to be able to do this. He says the body just... The brain just gives up and doesn't even try to process calories. If it says... What you're giving me doesn't match what I expect from the smell and the taste. Forget it. I'm just not even going to try. You're going to confuse me, I give up. And so that's where I think what Kim was homing in on and saying it's like, live live not by lies. Is that my iPad dinging?
0: I think it's your iPad dinging. I
1: can't find a silent switch for it.
0: It's this, pull down this corner right here. It's that little bell.
1: Oh, you never stay on top of technology. Everything's different. Sorry about the faint ding you guys. JR just silenced my <laughs> iPad where I I had it so I could skim through the 37 page transcript of the podcast to reference stuff and it's too much. I can't handle it. But so that just the whole incredible one thing I wanted to touch on was the tremendous design of our bodies. And how, how wild it is that our brain gauges how it should start digesting things based on what it expects to be mm-hmm. burning calorically through smell and taste.
0: I, yeah, I, I found it, honestly, I found it a little bit hard to... Follow to follow everything he said there, which is why I pulled up the but I transcript, think, but it's too much. Yeah, I think there's a, there's a concept though that he touched on that is important in that has uh spiritual ramifications as well, and that's the concept of um being afraid of pleasure,
1: mm-hmm.
0: which I thought was really interesting. He said a lot of a lot of culture today is afraid if it tastes good, it's bad for you, or if it's you know, whatever the case, it's bad for you. Like you shouldn't mm-hmm. be. Well, that's not true. Like we should be enjoying what we eat. We're supposed to be enjoying what we eat, and that's exactly what what Capen what Capen emphasizes. talks about in his yeah. book. Like this is this is a gift. You know, I say this all the time. Like it's amazing to me. Food could be completely utilitarian. We can we can construct a meal. Like do you remember uh the matrix mm-hmm. where they're sitting there in what is actually the real world eating that sludge and it's just like they eat the same thing every single day but it has everything that the body, all the nutrients that the body needs but mm-hmm. it's just like this porridge it, yeah. sludge stuff. Um we could we could very realistically have that and, and live. Uh-huh. But no. No we have we spend hours, we've got whole industries and restaurants and create and television shows around being creative and making it an experience and making it really taste good and making it look good. I mean, food like God gave us this thing. Mm-hmm. Not only did he provide a way for us to eat and, and stay alive, but he designed it to be enjoyable. To be Mm -hmm. exciting, to be creative, to be delicious, to Uh be relished, to do all this stuff. Like, we're supposed to enjoy.
1: I have lots to say about that. So, I'll start with (laughs) Capen. He, in the beginning of chapter 4, which is entitled The Generous Ox, he he tells a parable about um, a woman who thinks that um, that she's tired of eating beef, lamb, pork, veal, and poultry. She's just so tired of all of them. She's bored, and she wishes that someone could come up with a new animal so she could try something new. And then she gets set up at a dinner party with a bachelor who is very progressive and scientific, and he thinks that nature is far too lavish and uh, we just—there's just too much going on, and it's just—it's burdensome, all of the stuff that, that we have to choose from. And he—this host at a dinner party, according to this parable, hooks them up, and they end up inventing a nutrition pill. So all you have to do is eat pills all day, and that's all. And the the guest—the other guests at the dinner table can't fathom what these two have in common— And Capon essentially says they have both made an idol out of what is supposed to be a good gift to enjoy. And he says, how on earth could you get tired of the amazing bounty that we have in all of the different ways to prepare all of these different foods? Like, he's like... Give me give me just a cow and look at all of the different cuts and all the different prepares, ways to prepare it. And then give me five ingredients for sauce and I can mix and match those with the different cuts of beef. I could go for eternity with just this and never get tired of savoring it. I'm appreciating the incredible goodness and bounty that God gave us. And I'm appreciating such that I would never want to do away with this and just boil food down to mere nutrition. And he says both of them are flip sides of the same coin, and they're both idolatrous ways of looking at food and nutrition and creation. And I I think that, of course... Are, I mean, in some ways it feels so prophetic because our culture has so much done that. We're obsessed with nutrition and we're obsessed with food and we're also obsessed with pleasure. But nobody, I wouldn't say nobody, but very few people are hitting a happy middle mark that isn't idolatrous, but mm-hmm. that is truly satisfied and experiencing goodness. And he he goes on to to talk about how... Um, oh, I'm trying to find, well, one point he says is, is that, oh, here we go. Man invented cooking before he thought of nutrition. To be sure, food keeps us alive, but that is only its smallest and most temporary work. Its eternal purpose is to furnish our sensibilities against the day when we shall sit down at the heavenly banquet and see how gracious the Lord is. Nourishment is necessary only for a while. What we shall need forever is taste. And I love that. Just, mm. ta- again, taste and see that the Lord is good. And what's so fascinating that Capon didn't know that Shatsker touches on in the podcast and then chapter four of the book, The End of Craving, is all about pleasure and Again, he he's in. He believes in the evolutionary development of the human brain into this incredible thing that it is now, or the human body. But a couple things about taste that in the podcast he talks about this tribe in India that has a. Well, he talks about the bliss point. So give someone a a glass of water that's sweetened and. Everyone will rate, the sweeter it gets up to a certain point, they'll rate it as better and better. And then a certain level of sweetness is perfect, and then it starts getting too sweet, and they rate it as lower and lower. And that bliss point for sugar is something that food scientists are constantly, and the, the perfect mixture of fat and sugar and salt is something that food scientists are constantly pursuing, and then they use artificial stuff to to ramp that up to create more cravings in us but even in nature the bliss point is consistent across almost all cultures so give a group of american people middle class americans glasses of water sweetened with sugar and their sugar bliss point is going to be identical to a tribe of people in southern india hmm. but then in the podcast there's this group in southern india that is known for having a bliss point for sour so people add add sour to water and the bliss point for sour gets hit a lot faster than the bliss point for sweet very quickly people start to say unmitigated sour is unpleasant but there was this tribe in india that the bliss point was almost the mirror image on the spectrum for sour as it was for sweet. So they enjoyed sour as much as they enjoyed sweet. And he he does this, he talks about this particular nutritional deficiency. They're, they're poor people who tend to eat a diet that makes them short, um, Nutritionally deprived of niacin, which causes a disease that he discusses at length called pellagra. And this particular tribe in southern India is susceptible to pellagra as well as fluoridosis, which is a disease caused by too much fluoride. And their water comes from deep in the ground and tends to have a lot of fluoride in it. The extremely sour tamarind fruit. That is particular, the very sour kind that is particular to this part of southern India, happens to correct for both of those nutritional defi- deficiencies. Mm. It binds fluoride and it provides niacin, which cures pellagra. But
0: aren't you like... So, quick side side note. Aren't you like anti-fluoride?
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: But you need it, though, don't you?
1: No. Oh. No. What he's saying is... So... um, Fluoride does for your teeth, it, it helps your enamel become stronger, but it also is a neurotoxin. So there are other things that you can oh. have in your toothpaste and things. Okay. Fluoride is is not a natural, it's not one of the minerals that we need to survive. It's something that they added to water and toothpaste because they discovered that it helps keep your teeth tooth enamel stronger but there's there's other things like the toothpaste Mm. that we use has something i don't know how to pronounce this it's Mm. called hydroxypetite or something does the same thing for your tooth enamel but it doesn't have it doesn't seem to have adverse neurological effects this this is somehow the groundwater or the well water in this part of india is very deep in the ground and there's fluoride somehow in Mm. that that their water has a higher fluoride content than would be found healthily in Mm -hmm. nature just like other groundwater can have things Mm -hmm. like lead and arsenic or whatever but um so so this tamarind helps with both the water that's natural to where they live as well as the nutritional deficiency And what he remarks that is their bodies have adjusted their taste, have adjusted their bliss point so that they crave eating something that corrects a nutritional deficiency.
0: That was fascinating to me. So when I'm craving McDonald's french fries, it's because I have a nutritional deficiency somewhere in my diet and I need to I need No, to it's because
1: craving. you've you've trained your body to crave things that are bad for you
0: I had a lot but, of really bad jokes come through I know the but what's, <laughs> what's interesting is
1: there are people who talk about not following a particular diet but following what they call intuitive eating so even for kids if you're feeding your kids a whole food a generally healthy whole food diet You can what people who who subscribe to the philosophy of intuitive eating believe that you don't have to force your kid to eat a certain number of vegetables and a certain like at lunch today. Faith wanted hot chocolate because I was making it for Titus and his cousin who are over Mm -hmm. and she hadn't eaten anything else. And I said, you have to eat two carrot sticks and and she wanted some leftover salmon for lunch. And so I said, you have to eat the leftover salmon and the carrot sticks before you get the chocolate. And actually, no, that's not true. I told her she had to eat a piece of pizza (laughs) and a carrot stick before she could have that chocolate. And she requested salmon instead. And I'm all in on letting her have salmon instead of leftover pizza. But, but... People who subscribe to intuitive eating will say if you if you put a, a buffet of good food in front of a kid, you don't need to say you have to eat one carrot stick before you get your hot chocolate. You can trust that their bodies are going to guide their taste and their craving into what is good. And I think that has tremendous. First of all, like just stand in awe at a creator God who made us. That when our tastes are not adulterated by mm-hmm. the sinful world, and I'm talking about our, you know, the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, and the boastful pride of life. You know, when our tastes have been trained to what is good, we can intuitively trust our taste to lead us into other good things. Um, when we train our kids about bad company corrects good behavior. I'm finding this especially with Titus, he's 11 and he, there have been kids. If I say at church, people who go to our church, who are listening to our podcast are going to try to figure out which kids at church. I didn't want Titus okay. hanging out with, but it's true. You know, there are families there are good families in our church. And I don't mean good in the, no one is righteous, not even one way, but you look at the family and you're like, look, you're doing a good job. You're, you're doing your best. Your kids are respectful, but for, you know, for whatever reason, when my son hangs out with your son at Vacation Bible School, my son seems to act up. Yeah. And I several years ago I had a conversation with Titus. When you are around this kid and I'm in a roving position at at Vacation Bible School, I don't like watching you act up in class. And it wasn't like crazy acting up, but it was not acceptable behavior to me. And I pointed it out to him and he said When I am with this kid, I don't like it, but I feel like I can't help myself. And yet, in my age group, he's the only other boy. And because most of his friends are in the year ahead of him, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and so when they do an opposite year thing, every other year he gets to be with his friends in classes like that. And... And so I appreciated even then that he recognized this pull away from what he knew he should be doing with this kid who, by all accounts, seems to be a very nice kid right now. But I haven't really been around him because he's not in the same grade level as Titus anymore. Um, If
0: it's your child, it very well may be. Raise your kids well. No, don't let them be dicks.
1: No, I, I mean, I just, I appreciate. It. So, so Titus, you know, we're we're kind of a typical homeschool family. I don't think they actually listen to
0: the shell. So in I think that, no, I don't think so
1: either. I, I, we're a typical homeschool family, in that our kids don't have a wide circle. They don't have a lot of acquaintances, but if they can just cultivate a few good friends and be attracted to the good friends and get a taste of and i find this particularly with Titus that he he is a couple of kids that he really likes being around and i hope that the parents feel the same way about him but but he he they bring each other up even 11-year-old prepubescent boys you know they can be respectful to you know, his -hmm. friends are respectful to me when they're in the home. They don't throw stuff, you know, I don't know. I feel like I'm rambling here. But I guess my point is, I want to encourage his friendships with those kids because when he gets a really good taste in his mouth for the good, when he's around friends who encourage him to disobey or, I mean, there is one kid that I can think of that he's around who does not, listen to adults unless they really get in his face and say, you will not be disrespectful to me or you will his not cousin? disobey me. And...
0: <laughs> and She doesn't listen to the show, though, but she knows.
1: <laughs> and I think that... I think that I notice it in Titus's behavior when he's around kids who bring him down. And I try to just graciously point out... You know, isn't it delightful to be with kids that their parents trust them, their parents enjoy them, and their parents want you to be around because they think that you help that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. anyway, all that to say, cultivate a taste for good things. I mean, even, you know, we'll go there with sexual appetites. Cultivate a taste for the good. If, you, if you're if you watching a lot of pornography, it does not help your sex life.
0: Truth.
1: <laughs> it... It ruins your ability both for men and women, because pornography is a problem for both men and women, increasingly for women in our culture. But if you watch something that is not improving your appetite for what's good, it it's going to kill your appetite for what's good.
0: So when I watch you in the shower, it's improving my appetite for what's good.
1: Well you know that <laughs> you know that at the point of climax Men, particularly, your brain imprints on whatever you're looking at in the moment.
0: Yeah. Molly called it sex goggles. Or no, was it Katie Katie Faust called it sex goggles? Katie Faust called it sex goggles. So whatever you're looking at and you orgasm to that.
1: Particularly a man.
0: You know, you're imprinted. Yeah. It's it's like a baby duck imprint. You know. Or if, you know, you close your wife, your eyes, and it's your, you know, neighbor's wife. (laughs) You know, it's the same thing.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Kind of is the same thing. Um. The other really fascinating thing...
0: Not healthy habits, that's what I'm trying to say. The
1: other really fascinating thing about pleasure in the book, in The End of Craving, is he talks about scientists trying to wrap their head around what is pleasure. And it's very recent in scientific understanding that scientists even recognize pleasure which is wild to think about. But they used to think about sex drive as just a... Almost like a... If you think about... okay,
0: It was a need to survive. Yes. It was driven out of an instinct. And a, survival and a instinct.
1: need for release. So, you know when you go to a kid's water park? And I hate these. But there's that bucket of water that is wobbly. Mm-hmm. And it fills gradually from the sprinkler. And then out of no nowhere, it dumps out, of nowhere it dumps out. And sometimes it's terrifying to kids.
0: <laughs> anyway,
1: so so scientists used to see a man's sex drive basically as that bucket, and once it got full, it had to be released somehow. It was just like a basic hydraulics, <laughs> literally, and and there was no um, there was no agreement that the desire for pleasure God put in men and women to repopulate the earth, and they go together beautifully. When you are pursuing this, according to the creator's design, right? Right. Um, and also, the desire for a man and woman to bond together for life creates the ideal situ- situation to raise the children that come about often as a result of that union. Um, where were- so, so scientists literally, I would say in the last 50 to 60 years... We're like, oh, pleasure is not just hydraulics. And same thing with food. They're trying to figure out what drives us to eat what we eat and things like that. And some guy put, and, and essentially they used to understand, according to chapter four of The End of Craving, they used to understand the idea of pleasure as simply desiring to avoid pain. So, so people would eat to not be hungry, was the idea. Clearly, they were not studying the French people. It, it, it seems wild now. Well, but they literally understood that desire. And the reason the scientist who created a said there is a pleasure center in our brain, he put a wire in a brain's rat. Rat's brain. In a rat's brain. Sorry, talking too much, too much caffeine. He put a wire in a rat's brain. I need some he stuff. didn't talk about this on the podcast, did he? No. So he, he put I a wire
0: like in a rat's, rat's brain,
1: and he the idea was the rat would go, and it was supposed to be just to zap his brain. And was this in the book or pain. the podcast? This that is was, in the book.
0: Okay, that's where we were listening to it.
1: And yes, we were listening to it on the way to the ski area. So he's, so, the and then the rat's in a box, and when the rat went in a certain zone of the box, he was going to zap him like punishment for going into that corner of the box. And what happened instead was he'd accidentally stuck the wire in the pleasure point of the rat's brain, and the rat goes into that part of the box and gets this zap and is like, huh, goes to another part of the box, nothing happens, goes back to the brain zap part. And every and then the guy moves which part of the box he gets the happy zap in, and the rat just follows the happy zap. Wherever he can. And then he created something where the rat was trained to tap a little lever.
0: I wish he'd called it the happy zap. In happy, book, zap. In the book. happy
1: zappy. <laughs> and every time, every time the rat pushed this button or lever, he would get a happy zap. And the rat literally just sat there doing it until he almost passed out. And get, then... Eat
0: butter. Get a happy zap.
1: Yeah. And so, so... He did all of these different experiments, and everything came back to there is a pleasure center in the brain that scientists had never acknowledged it's before.
0: Funny to me how secular scientists and secular humanists and secular anything without a without a without a biblical understanding of, of creation and the way the world's wired, they struggle with the concept of of. In a lot of ways of pleasure being okay. Like we're created yeah. to enjoy things for the sake of enjoyment.
1: And so the point of this book is is actually almost everything of this chapter, almost everything we do is actually in the pursuit of pleasure. And so we eat to get some sort of pleasure. We and what, do,
0: you know, what Paul warns about multiple times in the New Testament is, is taking that too far and that becoming your source of reason for living is yes, for pleasure rather which than which is
1: worshiping the creation rather than the creator. Yeah,
0: rather than having that balance that we nobody seems to. And that's why we're supposed to live in community, guys. We can encourage each other to have balance.
1: Not only okay, not only can we encourage each other to have balance, but take a step back for just a second. We're we're very 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 slowly going through the Westminster Shorter Catechism with our kids and the question oh, yeah. what is I think
0: we started like 7 years ago.
1: What is creation? Creation is God creating everything out of nothing by his powerful word and it was all very delicious. No. Good. Good. <laughs> it Sorry. was all it was all very good and we we as a as a world Either turn that good into an idol, or we're afraid of the good instead of yeah. embracing the good. And the good is is what God gave us to eat. It was it's what God gave us to do, which is to to rule the earth, to to subdue it, to fill it. He and the good is to do that in community with other people, and we help each other not just stay. In balance, but to stay, we help each other actually with the enjoyment. He, okay, I'm gonna go back to Capen. What's our time?
0: We're almost at an hour.
1: Okay. He, I'm gonna, okay, Capen. He talks at towards the end of the book about how to put on a good dinner party. And he says he despises cocktail parties, because you're just put in this, uh, you, first of all, he says too much liquor too fast is unmerciful, <laughs> <laughs> but he says Amen. too much liquor too fast is only the half of it. What is just as bad is having to wander around like a lost soul while people spill drinks down your back and wipe dips on your front. We are homeless enough, which I I deeply feel this. I love this. I hate the mingling in a crowd thing. We are homeless enough without having to come in and out of the cold to nothing better than a warm exile followed by a cleaner's bill. Cocktail parties are frustrating. Not because fascinating conversations are impossible. Fortunately, a few still happen in spite of it. They are frustrating because they deliver so much. They promise so much and deliver so little. The spectacle of a houseful of apparently Mm. convivial people is one of the most inviting sights on Earth. It makes the heart leap to poetry and to passionate longing to seize this whole splendid company in one vast embrace for the expounding of their glory. But, alas, they are ungraspable except as individuals. They all have the trappings of fellowship, but none of the substance. And he goes on to say, I used to come away from cocktail parties with a vague sense of guilt as having, having somehow missed what others apparently found. But I do so more, do so no more. Nobody finds it. The fault here, dear Brutus, is not in ourselves, but in the system. And he says, "What you need is a dinner party with carefully chosen guests who are going to compliment one another, and who take, who put, who invite you into their lives, and who sh- create the vulnerability of giving you the responsibility to carry your own weight at a, around a table, and." he He talks about um, real beings coming into 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 close relationship with each other and close contact with each other, I guess. And he says, the old descriptions of heaven as a celestial banquet, the supper of eternal life, the endless convivium, which is sitting together, hit close to the truth, nowhere more in the good and formal company of a dinner party. Do we catch a foretaste of what is in store for us there? So and then finally, he says, a dinner party is a true proclamation of the abundance of being a a rebuke to the thrifty little idolatries by which we lose sight of the lavish hand that made us. And so I was thinking, if you think about like a Thanksgiving or Christmas, an American Thanksgiving or Christmas dinner with just food everywhere and it's so extravagant. That it's unnecessary.
0: Mm, and
1: he says, well, he says, we shouldn't live like this all of the time. Right. But we need that for our souls because, because we that's the doorway to recognizing how God treats us and how heaven will be. That just this glorious abundance that we guilt-free get to enjoy. And he spends an entire chapter called Better a Dinner of Herbs, which is, I'll skip to the beginning of it, it's chapter 11, talking about enjoying things guilt-free and not evaluating things for their nutritional value, which is funny because I think this was kind of the, the dawning of the era of Nutrition and health food and things like that, probably that he's reacting against, and how much further, how many different diet fads mm-hmm. have we gone through since then? And every, he just in sort of a prophetic way says, just, just enjoy the good stuff. Yeah. And he says, so this is where I, where I think it's so fascinating the intersection between him and this podcast is he says enjoy the good stuff because it's good for your soul don't get caught up in the nutritional thing it's better to he says it so much if you guys haven't read this he says it's, it's kind so of a, it's kind of a better. enjoy
0: the good stuff because it's good for your soul and it's good for your body
1: yes he I'm trying to find where at one point he says so so don't be the person who is offered this great meal and then says
0: Molly has like 900 I do I do in this thing
1: oh what can we at a dinner party what can we give you Harry a large helping or small if that's all the same to you Martha just a little bit of the chicken paprika no noodles I'm counting calories and he says there is no greater blasphemy than that against the goodness of creation And none illustrates it better than the fundamental anti-materialism of the age. Harry sits in front of one of the finest and simplest goods in the world, and he begs off, not because he doesn't like it, but because he has ceased to see the goodness of it. And his, his solution is, Harry should eat as many noodles as he wants, and then fast. And in, in fasting, you're doing your body good, which, again, he doesn't even understand all the different good hmm. things. Apparently, fasting is crazy good for your body, uh, even like a 12-hour fast. He doesn't know any of that. He knows about the the soul benefits of fasting. And he's saying, fast and then eat as much of the good stuff as you can because it's good for your soul. And what's fascinating is this podcast is saying... Eat as much of the good stuff, the good stuff, not something, not bags of potato chips, but good stuff. Like the, he talks about the area of Italy, bologna and with the golden noodle, because they love, they literally believe this is a perfect version of the noodle and eat as much of the good stuff as you can, as your body desires you to, because your body has a natural bliss point for being satisfied with good food and it's good for your body as well as for your soul. This area in Italy that he talks about is one of the healthiest parts of the world. And they eat noodles and bologna with giant chunks of pork fat and And cheese. Yeah. I mean, it's not, it's not a Mediterranean diet. Like you would think of Italy. It's, it's bolognese sauce, which originated in that area it's baloney, but not the bad stuff that you get at a deli in America. It's the real good stuff with tons of, in fact, they lardo, which is just the white part of bacon. <laughs> is one of their delicacies there. Anyway, um, I I guess my takeaway from all of this is just a desire, first of all, nutritionally, to really focus on real food with our family and to cultivate good taste and good food. And an example is this last week, in a desire to have food that we can eat while we're on the road, like to a ski day, I made some sourdough crackers in the first test batch that I made. The kids ate all of after having eaten a full dinner and Proclaim them the best crackers they'd ever had, and then I made a double batch for skiing. and We still have some of those left for I was eating some
0: as a snack today because I wanted something crunchy and salty. I was craving peanuts, but I didn't have any. They weren't quite as good, they almost taste like they have a little bit old, they need to be fresh. Too much oniony.
1: Oh, maybe. Yeah, I used the everything bagel seasoning instead of just plain salt.
0: Yeah, I think I would have liked them better with just plain salt. Now
1: that I need to add. Now that I have Parmesan cheese after my crazy expensive trip to Costco yesterday, thanks to inflation, I'm going to try kneading some Parmesan cheese into the dough. But my desire is to, because good quality crackers are very expensive and our kids would eat two boxes in a sitting easily. And so I'm trying to do more of that sort of thing is one of my takeaways from this podcast in being less antsy about how much and just teaching our kids to trust their bodies to eat what they, which I think we mostly do anyway. Yeah. And then my other takeaway is just going back to what you said at the beginning, the idea of the dark chocolate and in all of life, how do we, what is it? There's a, it's a Psalm. I'm sure I should have looked this up before, but The psalmist says, satisfy my soul with good things and really seeking to develop a taste for what is good in all of life, whether it's my entertainment or how I spend my time or the friends that I'm with or the food that I'm eating. And ideally, all of those coming together, as the Supper of the Lamb points out, all of the good things are best experienced all together with other people and with an eye towards heaven and and just not being a gnostic going back to the conversation (laughs) about gnosticism (laughs) earlier but but when god says he created everything and it was good and he's given these good things to us just to take him at his word and to believe that it's good for me holistically that it's good for me in in my mind and my body in that and that we're fearfully and wonderfully made and it's this mysterious way all of these things are good for me for all of me all at once
0: yeah and on that note to close the show um what are we having for dinner
1: we're having leftover taco stuff
0: yes i love tacos did we get those refried beans and stuff from Noah? Or are they all over your parents' no,
1: house? No, we have... It's almost all leftover Noah stuff, except we're yeah. going to have... Left... We're going to have... I want to
0: take all those eggs and make... Some elk. <clears throat> we got a Mexican friend of ours who has a half a tongue because, I don't know, some drug deal went sideways in Mexico or something. Really funny guy. Anyway, he uh, has a food truck in town, and he made us all uh, chorizo on egg uh, burritos for breakfast, lunch, brunch on Sunday after church. And uh, gave made extras so we could take it all home. So my plan is to, like, take it all, pre-make some burritos, throw them in the freezer for...
1: I am going to use days. the leftover eggs to do burritos.
0: Yeah, that'd be dope. Yeah. But he makes the best refried beans. I mean, it's, it's... It's refried beans, the only way a Mexican can do it. So, you know, there you go. Uh, okay, guys, so all the links that we've mentioned in the show, mostly for the books and the podcast we've been talking about, will be in the show notes. I'm also going to include in the show notes in case you get lonely and need you're too busy to flush fix midweek between shows, I'll include the Telegram chat group link. Um you can join all the other random yahoo's um
1: Joe just pushed picture, pictures of What should we call cooking? our fan
0: base? Flushers? Too busy <laughs> to
1: fl- <laughs> That sounds no.
0: I'm kidding. Um, um you can join all the other listeners uh, and engage in in various conversations. Um Around all the topics and things that we like to talk about. Food, kids, hunting. It's, almost, fun. it's pretty much it's like,
1: just as much randomness as you get on... Yeah, pretty much. ...on our yeah. online exactly. conversations. So
0: I'll include the link for that in the show notes. If you guys would... I'd like to thank Paul Overholt for buying uh, some swag off our shop. If you too would like to buy a to Flush... Um, t-shirt or hat or even uh, people are weird and hard mug
1: or, or something. a mug to give to somebody else in your life.
0: Yeah, give somebody else in your life in sort of that passive aggressive sort of way. <laughs> um, you can do so on our website, toobusytoflush.com The Swag Shack and you can also send us a message while you're there via the postcard feature. You can follow us on Instagram. Pretty much Molly's the only one who ever uses Instagram. I occasionally bop in and poke around and you get a random comment from me, but I'll usually sign it. It's usually me though. At too busy to flush. You can also email us at tb2f at pm. Uh, and I think that's it. We want to thank you for joining us for another long episode, rambling thing. It's so fun to be with you guys and um, chat at you, pretty much at you. Thanks for giving us your time. Your earbuds, and we hope you have a wonderful week.
1: Yes. Talk to you next week. God bless.